Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Good to be with you today. Thanks, Ben. Good job. Great job. My name is Alan, and I want to ask if you have ever known a child who was spoiled. Maybe you grew up with one. Maybe there's one in your family. Now, it's, it's really an inappropriate question. It's a terrible question for me to ask you because if there is such a child, it's not the child's fault. Right? It's just it's the circumstances of the But let's just set aside the inappropriateness of the question and assume that it's, just, it's okay for me to ask that question. Is there somebody in your family who is... Maybe there's somebody that you raised who would fall into that category. Or maybe, and this is rather unlikely, maybe you would see yourself as someone, maybe you were a little bit spoiled. See, the reality is we've all been spoiled in some way. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, particularly if you're a grandparent, you've spoiled a a child at some point because the reason anyone would spoil a child is that it comes from a good place. It comes from a good motivation. We just want to to give the kid, we love the kid so much, we want to give him or her everything that they want. We just want to give them all the desires of their heart. And you see, that's the problem. See, that's exactly what the spoiling thing is all about. Spoiling is is really about two things. It's about giving a child anything and everything they want. And then secondly, having no consequences when there are problems. We're really going to talk about the second one here today, about about the reality that there are consequences to the decisions that we make. There are consequences surrounding us based on how we choose to live life, that we are sitting here in this place because we were created by a God who set up a pathway in terms of how we are to live life gave us guidelines and rules and boundaries and laws, whether we like them or not, said, this is how I want you to live life. Love God and love others. And then there's a whole lot of different other ways to kind of think that and unpack that. But essentially, this is how God wants us to live life. And when we choose to ignore that pathway, when we go down our own path, when we say, no, I know better, and we're going to go down our own way, then that God loves us enough to follow through on consequences because that God is not going to spoil us. That God is willing to bring tough love into our relationship, in the the relationship between God our Father and us. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, as far as the introduction to this message, some of you might be thinking, (laughs) I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't come to church today to talk about the consequences of sin. I mean, who wants to hear about that? We all know about that. We're all aware of the consequences of sin. But let me just tell you, we're going to take a look at a story today that has a a wonderful element to it. I think there is part of this message, part of this conversation. Yes, we're going to talk about consequences, and some of it's not going to feel great. But there is a part of it. That, that you are going to want to hear, that you are longing to hear about your Father in heaven. As we head towards that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are thankful to be here in this place, to be with one another, to be with you. And I pray that you would uh, guide my words, God, that you would use this time as an opportunity for us to connect with you. God, you, 
you speak to us through your word. You speak to us through uh, trying to figure out what your word is saying to us, God. So would you come and speak to our hearts individually here in this place, we pray. Amen. Well, the subtitle of this uh, message is we're talking about tough love, the tough love of God. And the subtitle is the greatest Bible story you've never heard of. And if you're new with us or you weren't paying much attention over the past couple weeks, then I just want to remind you or let you know what that story is. It's the story of the exile. And I refer to it as the greatest Bible story you've never heard of because it is so central to the story of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. It really is the central story in the second half of the Old Testament. And yet it is a story that many of us are unfamiliar with. The story of prophets, many prophets, reminding the people of God, change your ways, change your ways, remember who your God is, remember the pathway that God has set up for us. The prophets telling the people over and over and over again, and the people ignoring the warnings from God, and then getting exiled out of the promised land, kicked out of the promised land that they were provided for by that loving God in the first place. That the Assyrians came over and they wiped out the northern kingdom and the Babylonians came and wiped out the southern kingdom. That's the exile story. And it, it covers about a thousand years and it is an enormous part of the Old Testament, essential for us as we're trying to read the prophetic writings in the Old Testament. One of those prophets is a man named Nahum. He is a much less known prophet than, than uh, a lot of the others. Uh, we are not going to spend much time on Nahum this morning. We're really going to spend time on, with Isaiah. But I want to start with Nahum because he talks about an attribute of God that is very important for us as we talk about, as we continue to talk about the exile. Nahum is a tiny little book near the end of the Old Testament, a, a minor prophet, um, and it is just three chapters. I want to look at one verse in chapter 1, verse 3. Nahum the prophet says, The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Sometimes we love that attribute of God. That God has such a value for justice that the guilty will not go unpunished. We, we thrive in our society because of that value of God that has been passed through generation to generation. That we have our system of government, our judicial system, that because of the value that God has, that the innocent will be protected and the guilty will be punished. That this justice system we celebrate in many, many ways, but then there are times when we're not such a huge fan of the value of justice, particularly when it is against us or towards us. We may have mixed opinions of, of this phrase here, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. But this is key for us to understand in terms of understanding this story and understanding the God of this story. He will not, he cannot Leave the guilty unpunished. That justice is not an option for God. It must happen. This is essential for us to understand the story of Jesus. We are way more familiar with the story of Jesus and the parables of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Way more familiar with that than we are with the Old Testament. 
particularly the story of the exile. But we cannot understand the Jesus story unless we understand this value of God. This is why Jesus had to die. This is why Jesus didn't just come and provide great teaching for us to know how to live life and a great model for us to live life, but that Jesus had to die an ugly, gruesome death on the cross because sin and us breaking away from from the ways of God in the presence of that holy God is, is detestable. It must be dealt with. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. And so what we have in the Old Testament story is the growth and development of the nation of Israel. Ultimately, they get King David, the mighty yet imperfect king, and then King Solomon, the mighty yet imperfect son of David, who is the, who is the next king. And then as we talked about in the past couple of weeks, after King Solomon died and the nation of Israel divided into the north and the south, it began this, this, this awful descent King after king, generation after generation, they just got worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where the Lord says, I cannot let the guilty be unpunished. God says, I have to do something about this. So what we talked about last week was that God gave warning after warning after warning from prophet, different prophet here, prophet there, chapter after chapter, warning, 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 warning. Last week I talked about the value of warnings, that warnings are a good thing because they, they mean that there's still an opportunity for us to change, for us to grow, for us to try something different. A warning is a good thing because that means we haven't gone off the cliff yet. Warning means it's not too late. It's not too late and it's a beautiful thing. But what we're talking about this morning is the actual exile event. What the actual event of the people getting, getting kicked out of the, the promised land. In 722, it was the Assyrians who came and took out the northern kingdom. But then the, the real big deal, kind of the final straw, was in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came and wiped out the southern kingdom. The reason that was the big deal is that that was the final the final you know, place for the Israelites, and that was where the mighty city of Jerusalem was. And that's where the temple got destroyed, the walls came down around the, the, the mighty Jerusalem, and thousands upon thousands of Hebrew people, they were ripped away from their homes, they lost their lifestyle, they lost their family and friends, many were separated because as they were uh, sent over to Babylon, that they were they had to go to different places based on their skills and their age and their gender, etc. And uh, they lost their dignity when all of this happened because they had been there for generations and generations. They were completely ripped out of any everything that they had had. It was an awful, awful experience for them. Just ripped away from their home land. Many of them lost their lives. They had to travel about a thousand miles from Jerusalem to Babylon across the, the very difficult desert. Many of them perished in, in that journey. That's the exile. The exile is the consequence of sin. The people of God were ignoring God over and over and over again, and ultimately there came a consequence to that. And we are so familiar with the reality of the consequence of sin. All of us here in this room right now can think of something that we have done and the consequence of those mistakes. 
And when that happens, we live in exile. We experience our own exile. Sometimes our own exile is not even our own fault. Sometimes it's the sin of somebody else, something that has been done to us, or the sin of, of a previous generation. Or maybe it's just the, the reality that we live in a broken world, and, and awful bad things happen, and it's actually, we're in exile through no fault of our own. Ugh, it's so painful. But then other times we know we're in Babylon, we're in exile because of decisions that we've made, because of choices that we've made where we have drifted away from the plans of God. We've drifted away from the ways of God. So we're all familiar with the exile. Some of us are in exile right now. What is the message of God to those who are in exile? Sometimes in that season of exile, it feels like God has forgotten us. And we, we, long, we long to be, to be back into our homeland, back, and we want to go back home. But while we're in exile, it just sometimes feel like, feels like God has forgotten us. What kind of a parent would God be if he did that? I have one daughter. Her name is Lila. When she was little, we would sometimes put her, and we did it to her brothers, of course, as well. But I remember one time I uh, put my daughter in timeout. So there was a timeout bench at the end of the hall, a uh, soft little bench there where they would have to sit. And there was nothing really interesting to look at. And, and uh, so they would have to sit in timeout. And one time I put her in timeout. I may have done this multiple times, but I only really remember, I'm only going to admit once. I put her in timeout, and I forgot her. I'm perhaps the only one who's ever done that, but I did that. An hour and a half later, I was sitting. No, don't judge me. Just listen to the story without judging. Okay, so, so, so I'm sitting with my wife, and, and we're enjoying a very quiet home and loving life. And, so, and then she says, where's Lila? And then I had a Homer moment. Oh, uh, because I, I know where Lila was. So I went down the hallway, and, and she, has, she had zonked out. She fell asleep on the timeout bench. Total, I mean, drool on the bench, you know, the whole deal. And so I went up to her, and I, you know, rubbed her back, and I said, I said, Lila. And then she kind of woke up, and I said, are you sorry for what you've done? <laughs> Which is really the only fair thing that I could say, because I couldn't even remember what she did. It was so long ago. I couldn't, you know, specifically. And she said, yeah, oh yeah, Dad, I'm sorry. No, okay, okay, we're good, we're good. And then, and then we moved on. Let me just tell you, God never forgets you in time out. God is a way better father than I am or ever will be. That goes without saying. But, but sometimes it feels like God has forgotten us. God never forgets you. So this morning what we're looking at is, is in, the, in the season of exile, what is the message from God to those of us who are in exile. I said we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there to Isaiah chapter 39. Isaiah chapter 39 is, is really a significant part of the exile story. This is when the exile was happening, when the southern kingdom was getting wiped out by the Babylonians. Chapter 39 begins, At that time, 
Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his entire armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom. He was the king of Judah. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah, Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. Remember, it was the Babylonians who wiped out the southern kingdom. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, art thou a bonehead? Okay, that's not what it, that's not what it actually says. You can look up, you know, what Isaiah actually says. But this, I imagine this is what Isaiah was thinking at this point. Because Hezekiah was bragging to, to, to Isaiah, saying, yep, I showed him everything. I showed our enemies all the stuff we have, even the stuff no one but me knows about. Showed them it all. Wow. Hezekiah was, was not the brightest candle on the menorah here, uh, here in this story. But he was a good king. He was actually listed as one of the few good kings that led up to the exile. The exile was not Hezekiah's fault. He was one of the good kings. It just happened to happen on his watch. He's actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. So Hezekiah is not a bad guy. But he was that final king who was in charge, who, who was the king when the Babylonians came and took over. Now there is something significant that happens here in this chapter that we find in multiple other places in the Old Testament. That this is the moment under Hezekiah's rule when it changes from pre-exile to the exile. That chapters 1 through 39 in the book of Isaiah, they're all about the warnings. Warnings, 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 warnings. Many break up Isaiah into two different books. Similar to the fact that you know we have 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Many break up Isaiah into 1 Isaiah leading through chapter 39. Then 2nd Isaiah from chapter 40 beyond. Because the story up until Hezekiah and chapter 39, that's before the exile. Then there is a significant break in time after the people are exiled and sent to Babylon, thousands of uh, Jewish people. Then later on, Isaiah continues to talk to those who are in exile. So Isaiah 40 through 66 is referred to by many as second Isaiah. And look at the first word that God says to the exiles in chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort is what God says. God says, 
God does not say once the exile happens, he does not say to his kids, I told you so. He does not say, you haven't been listening to me for generations. Now you're on your own. You, you, here are the consequences of your choices. You deal with it. That's not what the loving father says. The loving father says, comfort. This is, this, this, is the, this is the wonderful part of this story that some of us need to hear. There are consequences to our choices, consequences to sin. That's the reality. We see that consistently. The guilty must, must not be unpunished. But the first response from our loving father is comfort. It's, it's warning, 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 warning. And then when we cross the line, comfort. It's truth, 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 truth. And then when we cross the line, grace. That is a beautiful picture. That's who our God is. Later on in this, in this chapter, Isaiah famously says at the end of chapter 40, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He's talking to those in exile. And increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's the great message from a great father. Comfort is instant. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to wait for it. Comfort is instant. But relief is not. Just with the reality of life, the reality of the consequences of our decisions, comfort is instant, but relief is not. The Israelites returned to Jerusalem. They came back and they rebuilt a, a version of the temple and built the walls back around Jerusalem. And that's essentially the story we're going to look at next week as we wrap up the tough love journey, looking at the exile story, the restoration of the people of God. And they set the stage in that part of the world where eventually a, a, a baby boy was born in Bethlehem, just, just south of Jerusalem, but they were in exile for 70 years. 70, that's a lifetime. That's multiple generations that they had to experience the reality of the exile. Comfort is instant, but relief sometimes is not. A another time when our kids were about the same age as when Lila had her timeout experience, we, the five of us, were heading out for ice cream on a Friday night, and we all love ice cream. One of the things we have in common, we all love ice cream, and we had made the, I made the declaration, we're going out for ice cream. Very exciting. Our middle child, his name is Martin, and he was about four or five at the time, and he uh, had uh, an issue with, with uh, getting distracted. He was easily distracted, and he, he likes to focus on something, and he focuses and focuses and focuses, and, and, but that makes it really hard for him to kind of make changes and, and such. So we said to him, okay, we're going to go get ice cream. Stop wrestling with your brother and put your shoes on. That's a manageable request, right? 
Okay, stop wrestling with your brother and put your shoes on. All right, all right, Martin, if you don't, then we won't be able to have ice cream. It's time to stop, to stop wrestling with your brother and put your shoes on. Come on, we can do it, we can do it. And he didn't do it. And I had to do what I hated to do as a parent. I had to bring tough love into the situation. I hated for multiple reasons, not the least of which I love ice cream. And so I had to, in that moment, I had to say, I am so sorry, kids, but we are not going to be able to go get ice cream tonight. And then Martin, then I had Martin's attention. And he starts crying, crying, <laughs> big crocodile tears the size of softballs jumping out of his eyes, crying and wailing, crying, and his brother and his sister are upset with him, and and I pick him up, and I hold him, and I pat his back, and I love on him. And it's okay, Martin. We love you. It's okay. It's okay. And he's clinging to me. And, and so I love you, love you, love you. And then he calms down a little bit. His breathing starts to settle down. <laughs> he still has tears coming down his face. And he says, so which car are we taking? <laughs> to which I had to say, no, Martin, we're... The ship has sailed. We're not going to get ice cream. Wah! And the cry and the tears come back. Comfort is instant, but relief is not. Just because the comfort's there doesn't mean the consequences go away. Some of us are perhaps in exile right now. Perhaps through no fault of your own or or, or it's the consequence of decision that, that you have made. Comfort is, is instant. You can experience that from God. You can experience forgiveness right now. But oftentimes the relief, the full recovery and restoration from that takes work and it takes time. And it may even be that during that time of exile... That is a season where God wants to show you something or teach you something that you can only experience during that time of exile. Comfort is instant. Relief is not. When I was early in my uh, Christian journey, I came across this book. It's called God is No Fool. It, the book is over 50 years old, and it's out of print. It has 99 short chapters in it, all of which pack a wallop. I mean, her, the author is Lois Cheney, and she really kind of shoots straight. Uh, I, I want to read one of the chapters real briefly here as I, as I close up. It's chapter 28, which is really where the title of the book comes from. They say that God has infinite patience, and that is a great comfort. They say God is always there, and that is a deep satisfaction. They say that God will always take you back, and I get lazy in that certitude. They say that God never gives up, and I count on that. They say you can go away for years and years, and he'll be there waiting when you come back. They say you can make mistake after mistake, and God will always forgive and forget. They say lots of things. These people who never read the Old Testament. I don't believe God shed his skin when Christ brought in the New Testament. Christ showed us a new side of God, and it is truly wonderful. But he didn't change 
God. God remains forever and ever, and that God is no fool. You may not like that chapter. Maybe that's the reason it's out of print. But there's something very poignant about that. For me, it is helpful to remember our God is no fool. He will never say yes when he should have said no. We are unwise to think that our God is so loving that he cannot or will not follow through with the tough love that needs to happen for those of us when we act like teenagers at times. We are unwise to think that God is on our side, that God will show tough love to others, but in the end, God will take care of us and allow us to go have ice cream. God is not on your side. God is the king. He's the author of the whole story. We get to decide whether or not we're on his side. It is unwise for us to think that there is no such thing as hell. We want to, but it is unwise to think that there is no ultimate consequence for those who choose to ignore God. God is loving and gracious and compassionate in all the ways that you've heard before and hopefully that you hear today. And God is no fool. The crossover in Isaiah between chapter 39 and 40 is a huge shift in the story. It's the shift from pre-exile to post-exile, from warning, 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 to comfort, comfort, comfort. And there's something amazing that happens in the rest of the book of Isaiah, from chapter 40 to chapter 66. Isaiah has these pictures of one day a suffering servant that would come, who, who and by his wounds, we would be healed. This, this is 500 years before the events of Jesus, centuries before the Roman Empire existed or before the world had had any idea what a crucifixion was, Isaiah wrote about, about the fact that this suffering servant would be pierced for our iniquities. Isaiah writes this stuff in chapter 53. It's incredible. It's amazing. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 39 are about the warning. Warning, 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 warning. Chapters 40 through 66 are about the comfort and the hope that comes from one day a Messiah, a suffering servant who would come and take away the sins of the world. I find it very interesting that there are 66 books in the Bible. And guess how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. There are 39 books in the Old Testament that cover this story of God has a plan. God has rules and guidelines and a way for us to live life. And then warning, warning, warning. If we steer away from that, there will be consequences. Warning, warning, warning for 39 books, which is the Old Testament story. And then in books 40, book 40 of the Bible is the book of Matthew. In books 40 through 66, we have the New Testament. This story of Jesus, of hope, 
and comfort. It's all one grand story. Now, I know that the breakdown of the chapters of Isaiah, they came many years later and that the prophet Isaiah did not break down his thoughts in those 66 chapters. But I can't help but believe that there is a plan to this whole thing, that there is a consistency to this amazing grand story of warning, 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 comfort and hope. Maybe this morning you are in need of comfort. The first word in Isaiah chapter 40. Maybe you're entering in or are in an exile period and you need to hear that. God's grace is free and it is available to you right now. Maybe you need to hear that. You don't need to work for it or earn it in any way. And maybe some of you need to be reminded if there's an exile part of your life right now that relief is not. Sometimes there is a period of exile where, where we need to just trust God that he is still a good father and that there's something that God is waiting for that perhaps we need to learn in that process. But ignoring any of this stuff, any of this, any of this story is unwise because our God is no fool. He has a plan, he's laid it out for us, and we're the ones who gets to decide whether or not we believe it and we'll follow it. Comfort is instant. Relief at times is not. As we close here today, the band's gonna lead us in that song, Good Father, you're a good, good father. As we do that, I'd, I'd love for you to stand. I wanna pray with you, and then we're gonna sing one final song before we head out. If you would stand. Father in heaven, you are good. We celebrate that today. You are good because you're willing to show us tough love. You value justice and we celebrate that. Father, you, you are warning some of us here in this room, warning with regard to some of the decisions we're making or considering making. We wanna hear from you, God. We trust you. Some of us in this room need to hear the comfort that is connected with the consequences of some of our choices. May we absorb and celebrate your comfort here in this place today because you are a good father.